Week 64 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I mean, the stories that came out this weekend with Russians putting bounties on our troops and the president then deciding, oh, good time to invite Putin to the G7. I Let's talk about it. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. I mean, another nonsense week from a nonsense president. Great show today from the Lincoln Project. I have Reed Gallen. The Lincoln Project, which is all over breaking news, putting out ad after ad after ad. They are truly doing great work right now. Um, I I can't think of anybody doing better work, quite frankly, politically. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Uh, the work they're doing, and they put an ad out immediately about this, as did uh, Vets for Change. Look, what the president is up to right now is just beyond explanation. So we get a report late Friday, early Saturday, that the Russian intelligence, the GRU, were in Afghanistan working with warlords to put bounties on U.S. troops. Bounties for killing U.S. soldiers. And we are told in the New York Times article that this was part of the president's daily brief back in March. Now, we all know he doesn't read his presidential daily brief. And the White House has said the president didn't know. How could the president not have known? I mean, this is the kind of thing that people run into your office to tell you immediately. It's not something that waits for the next day's brief. I find it very hard to believe that back in March, the president didn't know this. But let's look at the facts here. Later in the year, in May, the president suggests that Putin be added to the G7, be invited to the G7 over the objections of the other allies in the G7. No, Mr. President, that should not have been your response to learning this. Your response should have been sanctions, should have been calling him out internationally for it. It's an act of war, if you ask me. I I am blown away by this president's allegiance to Vladimir Putin over all others. I mean, he puts Putin above our troops. There's just no there's just no way you could deny that if these reports are proven true. And and frankly, the White House is not denying that these 
reports of the bounties are true. They're denying that the president knew about it. Now, they're saying that intelligence was not, you know, there was mixed intelligence on this, that some say yes, some say no, whatever. I mean, still, why invite Putin to the G7? Why elevate this guy on the world stage? Why not figure this out? And you, you know that there's a problem when on Monday, the president decides to brief seven Republicans, House Republicans, doesn't include Democrats in the briefing. The Democrats will get briefed Tuesday, they say. I, I look, America, this man is unfit for office. He, he has had something going on with Vladimir Putin since 2015, let's be clear, probably longer. The president will fight back, push back on every little slight against himself. He, he tweets against me. America. He won't strike back at Vladimir Putin, not even with strong words, international condemnation, nothing, like nothing. Silence from the White House on this. Republicans across the country are calling for answers. Ben Crenshaw, Liz Cheney. Look, when Liz Cheney, Ben Crenshaw, and I are on the same page wanting answers from the president, Liz Cheney went as far to say, you know, if the White House didn't know about this, why not? Right, if if this really wasn't in the PDB, now I know he had some fool as his uh, NSI at the time, director of, and director of national DNI, sorry, at the time, an unqualified Republican hack filling in till they got the new DNI. But that's no excuse. He's the president of the United States. This is America. We have systems in place to deliver that kind of intelligence to the president immediately. Like, this is not something that should have been kicking around. So I don't believe him when he says he didn't know. I don't believe Mark Meadows when Mark Meadows says he didn't know. I don't believe Mike Pence. They're all lying. They're a bunch of liars. And this president is so loyal to Putin above all else. It makes me sick. It should make you sick. This is something that we should hammer every single day till the election. This is the kind of thing that is clear-cut dereliction of duty. I mean, some people have called it treason. I've tweeted out that treason 45 thing that's been out there a lot. Maybe it is treason. I mean, we have a hostile act, an act of war, quite frankly. And then we have the president giving aid and comfort to the enemy while knowing there was an act of war going on. In fact... What the president wanted to do was elevate the, pres- the the enemy on the international stage, which really is more than giving aid and comfort. It's actually assisting this person, making him more legitimate, making him, making him a bigger threat and a bigger foe. It's disgusting. I don't know how anybody, you know, it's 4th of July weekend coming up, and I know we're all going to be having fun. Some of you are probably listening to this on, on your way to the beach on the 4th of July. I hope you're having a good time. hope you're wearing a mask practicing social distancing. If you're listening to this show, you probably are. But I don't understand how veterans marching in parades today can can look at this guy and say, yeah, he's our guy. And I know he's not doing well among the military. He does well among veterans. But uh, I don't know how I don't know how they could hear these these reports. And not question. Even if you question whether or not he knew it, you got to wonder why he wouldn't know it, right? I mean, he had time to play thirty-six holes of golf on Sunday after tweeting that racist, 
video with the guy saying white power, and then he took it down. Plenty of time to play golf, Mr. President. No time to figure this out. No time to get your presidential daily brief to find out what's going on. To find out if our soldiers are being targeted by the Russians in Afghanistan. I mean, you're pathetic. He is a pathetic fool. And I, in, in America, I keep looking at these polls every day. It looks worse and worse for him. But I'm still, again, until he's under 30%, I'm not going to be satisfied. I, I don't understand how anybody in this country is still supporting this guy. Anybody at this point. He's failed us on COVID-19. And we'll talk more about that in a little while. He's failed us on the economy. He's failing our troops. He's he's sparking racial divisions at a time when people are on pins and needles about it. I, I just don't understand how anyone can still support him. And you see these people. I mean, you look at that video he tweeted out. You know, there's there's protesters out there and a line of, of old men in golf carts with Trump stickers and Trump flags, that gaudy, ridiculous flag he has people wear. You know, they, they, they yell, white power, white power. That is crazy. And he tweets it out. And people want to say, oh, he didn't know. He didn't watch the video. This is the thing. This is a pattern. He didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. I didn't do it. I didn't know. Yeah. Get ready. I mean, hopefully by the time you listen to this, this hasn't happened yet. But I'm sure there'll be a point in time when the president says, what's the matter? America never put bounties on people? America America wasn't in Afghanistan back in the 80s supporting people fighting the Russians? Get ready. That'll be his next excuse. They, what, what this president doesn't understand about Putin, Putin doesn't care about Donald Trump. Putin is playing a much longer game that started long before Trump, when Trump was you know, in the 80s, in the clubs, in lower Manhattan, you know, cheating on his wife. Putin was worried, was fighting in Afghanistan. And he remembers the Americans siding with the militants in Afghanistan, with Osama bin Laden and the Taliban, the, you know, the group that preceded the Taliban. He remembers that. And this is his way of getting back at us for that. He doesn't care about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a useful idiot to Vladimir Putin. He is a means to the end. He doesn't care one bit. Donald Trump thinks that Vlad's his pal. This is the weak man we have in office. He thinks that Vladimir Putin is his pal. We got to get him out. We got to just get him out. I mean, we can't take this anymore. It's not safe for our troops. It's not safe for this country. I mean, COVID-19 cases now are higher than they were back in April. And we all know that cases are a leading indicator. That means deaths go up. We are now over 126,000 people have died of COVID-19 in the United States of America. Leads the world. I mean, what more do we need? What more proof do people need? Like, who are these... 40% of Americans that say, yeah, you know what? I think I'll give them another four years. I think I'll give them another shot. They can't all be white supremacist racists. They can't. Some people just haven't woken up yet. We got to wake them up. I think that there's still movement there. Remember, there's a difference between support and strongly support. And yes, most of the people that support Donald Trump strongly support Donald Trump. Just like most of the people who oppose Donald Trump strongly oppose him. And by the way, that number is at 50% now. 6% of the people somewhat oppose him (laughs) so he's in bad he's in bad shape but there's about 10 percent 
of the people that somewhat support him. I think half of them are gettable. That's just me. I, I think his number could go, I think 34 is his floor. I would love to see it drop below 30. I don't know. But, you know, let's put some things in perspective here. This week, the state of Mississippi voted to take the Confederate symbol off their flag. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, it took them long enough, but hallelujah. The president of the United States decided to double down on white supremacy. He decided to protect Confederate monuments through an executive order. He decided to tweet out a, uh, you know, white power video. Well, even in the state of Mississippi, where we think of all of these problems, that state now took that Confederate symbol off their flag. I mean, he's really on the wrong side of history. And if you're still with him, you're on the wrong side of history, too. I know if you're listening to this show, you're probably not still with him. And I appreciate you still being with me. Again, another record-breaking week. I think this week's going to be even better because, I mean... Look, Reed Gallon's one of the founders of the Lincoln Project. I, If you're following me on Twitter, at Christopher Hahn, uh, I will be linking to the Lincoln po- Project and uh, and Reed Gallon. I, I constantly retweet the Lincoln Project. I constantly retweet them. Their ads are fantastic. Now, they are a group of former Republican strategists. And the stuff they're putting out is, I mean, it is brutal against this president. And it is pissing him off to no end. Uh, we need more of it. I mean, it is amazing to me that the best ads are coming from a group of Republicans. Uh, and, and where are these great Democratic super PACs, you know, progressive super PACs to do similar work? I mean, this work is, is it's great. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the work they're doing. It's great. So I had a great opportunity to talk to Reed Gallon, uh, and I'm going to share that with you. So stick around. I've got a great guest after this break, and then I'll be back to wrap it up after the interview. Now, you have all heard me talk about the Lincoln Project over the last couple of weeks. And if you have followed me on Twitter at all, um, one of the most retweeted groups I've been uh, been putting out there has been the Lincoln Project, who I think are doing amazing political work. No wonder we've lost some elections to some of these guys that have made this group up over the years. Uh, and I'm, ha- I'm fortunate enough to have right now one of the founders of the Lincoln Project, Reed Gallen, is with me. And Reed, I've been saying to myself all day, I've got Gallen Rupp joining me all day. It's been driving me crazy. So I'm really happy I didn't screw that up. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So, Reed, I want to get into like the origins of this group. What made you and the other you know, Republican operatives... Uh, come together and say, you know what, enough of Trump, we've got to do something. Well, I think most of us had left, I mean, I know I left the GOP officially in 2016. I re-registered as an independent after Trump won the nomination. And I think some of our other folks um, did the same. And I think we still have some registered Republicans too. But I think it came to a point last fall when uh, we started talking and, and deciding that we wanted to do something. And you know, as as Rick Wilson, one of our other founders, likes to say, cribbing Liam Neeson, we, we have a particular set of skills. <laughs> um, and, you know, those skills weren't really being put to use uh, in any way outside of, um, you know, social media and maybe, and maybe uh, you know, cable news. And for a lot of this so-called Never Trump movement, which we're not a, a huge fan of the name, but it is what it is. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the fighting really took place inside the Beltway. Uh, or, you know, on the op-ed pages of the Washington Post or the New York Times. And 
And as you know, that's all well and good, but, you know, words on a page, that's basically the same things being said over and over again. Right. Um, no voter reads that stuff to begin with, and certainly Trump doesn't care. And so we we agreed that we were going to have to take a, a, a different and more, I would say, aggressive approach to going after him. Uh, and that's what we started last uh, mid-December of last year. And, you know, we, we rolled through, we opened up and rolled right into impeachment. And we thought that this was going to be a much different campaign. And since, you know, the COVID pandemic sort of struck mid-March, we have uh, we have been hard at it day in and day out, yeah. making sure that uh, Americans, uh, you know, specifically Republicans and independents that we're targeting to try and keep them off of Trump uh, are aware of what's going on. But certainly, uh, you know, we've got 300,000 people who've joined the join the fight and I think a million followers on Twitter. So it's it's grown beyond our wildest expectations and we couldn't be more flattered or pleased with where we are now, but certainly not resting on our laurels. Now, tell me about the people joining the fight. Now, I, I, I for one, believe that a two-party system is an important thing to a country to have, you know, mm-hmm. two sides kind of working out their differences and then having a compromised piece of legislation or law or, or governing strategy that kind of moves the country along, but in a incremental fashion. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure that you're hearing from a lot of Republicans who maybe they're center right, but they're, they're just not liking what's going on with the president and the party. No, I think that for a lot of us, you know, I think the founders included and all the folks who have been kind enough to, uh, to join up with us. Um, you know, it's not the party of Rockefeller. It's not even the party of Reagan. Right. right. Um, I was asked earlier today, you know, what of the three pillars of the of the old Republican Party, whether or not that was fiscal conservatism, you know, leadership in the world or sort of the religious slash individual liberty piece, you know, do you still believe is left? And I would say I don't I don't believe any of them are left. Right. In the form that certainly I knew them as I was growing up. Uh, look, I, I was the son of an operative. So, you know, I grew up with the party and certainly we're a long way from there. Mal, who was your you know, who did your dad work for? Uh, my dad worked for Dan Quayle in the House and the Senate and then uh, Gingrich when he was minority whip and then speaker. Wow. So he was part of that contract with America, which was a brilliant strategy that got the Republicans control of the House. Whether you like the result or not, the strategy was actually very a very strong one. And I'm sure your dad played a big role. In it. And, and who have over your career? Um, who have you worked for throughout the year that, you know, you've been an operative? Uh, tell me a little bit about your career. Uh, sure. I mean, I uh, was lucky enough uh, to work for um, Governor and then President George W. Bush uh, on his 2000 and 2004 uh, campaigns. And I spent a year at the White House in between there. Yeah. Uh, and then I worked for uh, Governor uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger on his reelect in 06 and then McCain in 07. And then, you know, we were in California. And so, you know, I, I did more sort of public, you know, relations, public affairs, ballot measure campaigns being in California. And so, you know, I, I've been pretty disconnected from the Republican super, superstructure for a while. It's not it's not something that I really spent a t- ton of time on. And so when Trump came on the stage, literally and figuratively, I thought he was as big a joke as everybody else. Yeah. Uh, but when he won the nomination, that was it for me. So You know, it's funny. I debate one of your former colleagues, Carl Rove, a lot on Fox, and I always try to say to him, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be awkward when W endorses Joe Biden. I mean, he's clearly not voting for Trump, I don't think. Um, you know, and he tries to push back. Have you been seeing your old colleague, Carl, on TV at all and and watching him squirm trying to defend this guy? Uh, well, the good news is I live 2,000 miles outside of 
the East Coast, so <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time on cable news. That's good. Um, but I, I, I mean, I've seen the stories that, that Carl's now a, a, an, an advisor to the campaign formal or otherwise. Right. Um, and so I think, um, you know, from Carl's perspective, I would assume that the Republican Party is the Republican Party, regardless of, of form or feature. And so um, it wouldn't surprise me, especially given that, you know, he and his, his folks are raising tens of millions of dollars to try and elect, reelect Trump and keep people in the Senate. Yeah, it is amazing to me because, uh, you know, it, it, it just appears to me that a lot of the Bushies, as we call them on the other side, seem to be mm-hmm. falling away from Trump and really just just disgusted by what they see. And then, you know, and then I go, you know, and, and I, I'm on Dana's show a lot and Dana's pretty much down the playing it as center right as she can, not really being all in with Trump. And then I see Carl. And it's just amazing to me that he's one of the few holdouts, and you would think of all the people, he'd be the one most disgusted. Uh, you know, again, I can't speak for him. I mean, we are, you know, we are a proud uh, group, a proud cadre of people that, if you think about it, go back, you know, some of us go back to 1979 in Iowa when then President, or, you know, then George H.W. Bush yep. was running for president, yep. you know, and then ultimately, you know, through the White House years. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's got a long and storied tradition within the party. And I think there's just a, you know, both the, the presidents and their families uh, brought just, I think, a, a dignity and a respect not only to the office, but also for the office. Right. I think we're all a you know, country mile away from now. And I think that's the main problem with Trump, right? There's no respect for the office, for the people, for the country. And you have all, you know, uh, through your ads, really pointed a lot of that stuff out. I mean, my favorite is The Morning in America uh, which is just, ugh, I love it. <laughs> so I loved Reagan's morning in America ad, uh, even though, you know, look, I was, I was too young to be involved with that. But, uh, if you look back sure. on great political ads in, in history, that's a great political ad. No. And look, I mean, we are equal opportunity thieves and, you know, how Ryan's classic, um, you know, it's probably still one of the top five political ads of all time. Yep. You know, it, it helped propel Reagan to winning 49 states in 1984. Yep. Maybe the, you know, our version of Morning in America, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, uh, can, you know, propel Joe Biden to, you know, win 39 Well, states, I so. hope that ad plays a lot during this campaign. You said you left the party in 2016. Um, you know, what's left of the Republican Party seems to be a wholly owned subsidiary of the Trump organization at this point. And... Yep. And assuming the election goes the way the polls say it's going right now, and I think that's a big assumption, polls change, and there's going to be a long way between here and there. Sure. Um, there will be some Republicans left. What should be done with those Republicans? Because they seem to have just sold their soul to Donald Trump. They've sold, like you said, the three pillars of Republican Party, one of them being um, you know, leadership abroad, which is, you know, the president has just abandoned leadership abroad, which is why I believe we're in this mess we're in right now with COVID. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think we know yet. I think that there will be that that group of, of Republican leaders, let's call them members of Congress, the Senate, governors, whatever the case they might be, who, you know, will try and run from Trump as fast as they can as soon as he's, I don't think even, I think they'll wait until he's actually out of office to do it. I don't think they have the guts yeah. such as they are to, to do it while he's still in the White House. Um, and then I think you'll have a sizable chunk, maybe if not a majority of people who, um, are going to try and replicate in their own way uh, what Trump did in 2015 and 16, which is just hew to that, 
you know, 30 to 35 percent of a yeah. primary electorate that's sort of, you know, all in for the white ethno state. Yeah. And, um, you know, and just really trying, you know, continue to stoke the anger, the resentment, um, you know, the ugliness on immigration or um, race relations, whatever it might be, because <clears throat> they don't, you know, the, the the idea of conservative principles is at best performative now and at worst um, you know, a, certainly a, a much twisted version of its former self. So, like, as parties contract, and, and that's clearly what's happening, I believe, in the Republican Party, guys like you left, uh, others in within the Lincoln Group and others outside of the Lincoln Group, the parties tend to get more to the fringes of the party, to the far right, to the far left, and what's left tends to be more radical. Um, and, right. and I don't know how that continues in this country when... You know, like, should people who are disgusted with the way the Republican Party has sold out to Trump, should they leave the Republican Party like you did? Should they start another party? What happened? I mean, this is the thing. I don't I don't know what happened here. Because obviously, like, you know, I'm, I'm listening to John Bolton today and and I and I don't agree with almost anything John Bolton says. But John Bolton is being honest, saying, hey, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not going to become a Democrat. Uh, but where is right. where does John Bolton types go? Uh, well, where where a John Bolton type goes, I don't know because I'm I'm, you know, I I only remember him vaguely from my time in Washington. Yep. Um, I I think that you know the, it, it's funny because I would say that probably his brand of neoconservatism, you know, probably doesn't play across the political spectrum. No, not at all. Uh, you know, that's there's a difference between where he sort of sits on the on the spectrum, you know, as far as overseas uh, actions are concerned, and and where you know people like me, which is, you know, America should try and be its best moral, you know, provide best its best chance at moral leadership in the world and, and, you know, finding ways to, you know, come together and bring other countries together to find common solutions. But um, I don't know where they go. I don't know if they, you know, become independents and they look for, say, moderate Democrats to elect. Right. Um, if finally the Republican Party becomes sort of a dwarf star and collapses on itself and Something else comes from that. Right. Um, whether or not there will be a raging debate and war within the Republican Party to figure out who it wants to be. It could be some combination of all of those things. So I thought there was a raging debate between within the Republican Party in 2012 after the uh, reelection of Barack Obama. I thought that that was what was happening. And yet it didn't. It just seems like it, it you know, what happened was, oh, uh, we don't like the name Tea Party, but it basically became a Tea Party. Yeah, well, I think the issue was is that the people in charge, you know, the Mitch McConnells and Paul Ryans of the world and the more quote-unquote establishment candidates um, were sitting wherever it is. They sat while the Civil War was going on. The problem is none of them recognized it, and by the time they did, uh, they were neither the candidates who could court those people were willing to uh, or frankly wanted to because it had become such a right. sort of metastasized version of you know, what maybe Palin brought to the beginning in 08, and then the Tea Party really started to grow, which was, again, one that was, you know, more built on, you know, the government having too much power, some sort of grieving. Um, you know, they, they claimed that, you know, at the time, remember, they claimed that, you know, this was a waste of money and, the, you know, spending was out of control. And, of course, now the Republican Party is in a place where on one side of the ledger it cuts revenue and on the other side, it keeps spending. So, yeah. um, you know, they're now like uh, drunken teenagers with their parents' credit card. Yeah. And they can't run on socialism this year. I mean, since they passed probably the most socialist relief package in the history of this country. So like, I mean, it is amazing to me watching this president 
give a speech last weekend where he he basically was like an old rock band that had one hit and went up went back out on the road and played that one hit and then complained about everything that's happening to him bad but didn't have anything new to offer or any reason for him to be reelected no, and I'm glad you brought that up because you know, for you know, it, it was funny that the Tulsa event for him was a debacle, and for his campaign from from start to finish across every office of the campaign, and certainly the president himself. And you know, we we saw what I think everybody else saw was that during his remarks, you know, 15 or 20 minutes about you know his ability to walk down yeah. the ramp or drink a glass of water. Amazing. And, you know, for us, we're sort of we're sort of you know sort of chuckling under and our breath under our breath and, and shaking our heads because that was a 10 day story. Yeah. Right. I mean, we saw, we saw him shuffle down the ramp, you know, our communications director tweets out Trump is unwell. <laughs> you know, it goes, it goes crazy. Trump tweets out something at like 1245 in the morning about how he really is healthy. Yeah. And spends the next 10 days talking about it. And I think that's a perfect illustration of what we've been able to do is, give the president something else to think about other than Joe Biden or yep. his next term. Yeah. And so serve as this sort of prime, you know, antagonist to his time in office. And so, you know, that's 10 days that the Biden campaign could use to get its act together, clean air to push its own message, to raise money, to get, it, to get organized, whatever it's going to do. And we've seen that on several occasions when he's decided to, you know, take the bait as it yeah. were. And we expect that he'll continue to do that because it's all about him. And, you know, he's, he's, he is the ultimate projectionist. And so when, you know, you read stories about him sitting in the cabinet room talking about how he passed these cognitive tests and, and say five words over and over again, right. that's really him convincing himself that he can do it, not the people in the room around. It him. is amazing. We were talking briefly uh, while we reset the clocks here uh, about how the president is just having a hard time running against Joe Biden. He doesn't really have any direction or any real clear message. No, he doesn't. And I think one thing, you know, you mentioned is that, you know, Biden is is another older white guy. Right. He is he is well known by the American people by name, but isn't totally defined yet. Every time Trump or the campaign has tried to define him, that is sort of blown up in their face for one reason or another. Right. Um, and, then, you know, he, uh, the vice president comes into this race with far lower negatives and far you know, far less baggage politically than, say, Secretary Clinton did in 2016, when, you know, Republicans across the country had seen her in almost mythological ways for 25 years. Yeah, right? yeah. Whereas, whereas Biden doesn't have a lot of that stuff. And so, you know, he's got the opportunity to, frankly, in some ways, just not be Trump. Um, and then the president, you know, just can't get out of his own way every time, um, you know, he tries to do something, you know, he just gets deeper and deeper into these holes. And he certainly hasn't acquitted himself as the president at all, but certainly not, you know, in the, in the last three months when all this, the COVID piece has exploded and we've got millions of Americans out of work. And then of course the George Floyd killing and his yeah. reaction to that. Yeah. He does nothing but divide us. It's just crazy. And here he is. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen a politician get elected and spend four years pissing off the people who didn't vote for him. Right. Rather than trying sure. to get, Pick off just a few of them. He's just made them dig in deeper, and he's lost some of the people who said, "Yeah, let me give him a chance." Right. Well, and that's the thing. They're, they're, and that's really the type of folks that that the Lincoln Project is going after are those people who might not otherwise have ever voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Right. But they weren't going to vote for Hillary Clinton. There's, as you noted, there's 
there's no there's no third party there's no third option or fourth option that's that's legitimate or credibly gonna right. you know win the White House and so they said okay well I guess I'll take this guy for three years you know he's he's a bore he's he's a joker he, the Twitter is awful the language is awful how he treats the institutions and the country is awful but the economy is good the stock market is roaring and uh, unemployment is low so a lot of Republicans who even didn't like him. That okay, well, you know, I can put up with it, yeah, because everything's going my way. Well, now, you know, the president, you know, we have a cr- multiple crises occurring simultaneously, and they're sort of like, wait, 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 <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's going on here? He's not and handling them. So not a joke. No, and remember that political political decisions have consequences. Yeah, I think we're seeing that in spades as as we you know march towards November. I'm surprised it took this long for this president to be a complete and total disaster that everybody could see. I thought that, you know, maybe two weeks into the presidency, there would be something. But he seemed to skate along for three years. And while there were scandals, there weren't anything that were like, you know, on your face, this is ridiculous, nothing nothing you could say about it kind of scandal. Well, and I mean, I think we can't underestimate, too, that, you know, just take uh, the Ukraine piece last year, which is ironic because he was engaging in all that to per, to try and make sure that Biden wasn't the nominee he had right. faced, right? That right. About all that. Um, and then, you know, he had, you know, being totally aided and abetted by the Republicans in the United States Senate during the impeachment trial, which is also ironic because as much as they were crowing and loving to run towards the microphones during all that, now whenever somebody asked him about, you know, looting and shooting or vicious dogs or any of the ugly things he said, in the wake of all the recent unrest, you know, they shuffle away as quickly as they can, as if they can't hear the questions. And so I think from our perspective, it's, it's shown you just how far the party writ large has fallen and how these people who are supposed to be, you know, have their own oaths that they're supposed to abide by their own, you know, their, their consciences, which they should listen to. And then, of course, their Article One responsibilities. And they've just totally sacrificed all of that because they were afraid Donald Trump would say something mean to them on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, that's amazing to me. I mean, he said something mean about me on Twitter once, and it, it was great. I loved it. <laughs> me too, but he spelled my name wrong, so it was hilarious. I was annoyed that he didn't tag me because, you know, I would have liked it because there's got to be at least, you know, 10 million people following him like me that just hate following him. Uh, and and sure. I was just annoyed. You know, here's his bigger problem. His his plan right now, the, to, the, to the extent they have a strategy on his campaign, their strategy will be scorched earth on Joe Biden. But when I look at the polls... I see that people that dislike them both are breaking like three to one for Biden. This is not Hillary Clinton where it broke the other way. They're not going to break for the guy who's there. Do you see that changing? Um, I don't. But, you know, I, here's what I also say. is like Complacency is our biggest enemy. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish that some of these surveys were showing it closer now um, because in, invariably this race will tighten. Yeah. And all of the stories about the Trump comeback will be written. And those people who are very excited now will start to be dispirited and maybe discouraged from participating. We just can't have that. We've got to have everybody turn out that possibly can turn out. And, you know, just to talk about the strategy, this is where it must be just the worst job in the world to actually try and work on Trump's campaign as he, I believe, tries to sow the seeds of illegitimacy and what could be a blowout election uh, with things like vote by mail. You see voters in, you know, Republican voters like in western Michigan, uh, openly burning their absentee ballot application. Yeah. That's got to drive political guys absolutely through the, through the, you know, the, uh, the it, roof. It's amazing. They're costing themselves votes because there's a good chance that if those people 
aren't going to vote absentee, and let's say COVID has come roaring back, but they're not going to show up at all. Right. And so it's just a fascinating uh, sort of I, I mean, absentee ballots has always been something that Republicans do very well across this country. Yes. And it's a major part of most Republican ground games. And to see right. this guy going so hard against it, a man who has voted absentee himself, is is kind right. of ridiculous. Now, let me ask you this question. Is there a state that we're not thinking about that you think could flip in this cycle? Hmm. Flip from red to blue or blue to red? Either way. Um, you know, I mean, I think Arizona is probably, you know, very close. I think North Carolina, you know, although Obama won it, I think that's close. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I went to high school and college in Texas. Um, and you know, I think but there was a survey there that showed Biden up two today. And, and we know that the Trump campaign is, is spending money on television, radio and digital in Texas. Yeah. Now. They're clearly playing defense there. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't see any total shockers, but if, if, you know, Trump's hard negatives now are something like 56%. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, that tops up over 60. Um, yeah. he, he could, he could lose a whole bunch of states. Nobody ever thought he could. There you go. Okay. Look, I only have a little bit of time left with you and I want to make sure we plug the Lincoln project properly. If people want to get involved, where can they go? Where, what do you want them to know? Sure. Absolutely. Please visit uh, lincolnproject.us. Uh, follow us on t- Twitter at Project Lincoln and check out our our new podcast, uh, Republicans Defeating Trump, which has just been uh, up and running for, I think, three, two or three weeks now. We will drop a new episode tomorrow. Excellent. Um, so please check it out. All right. Reed Gallen, this has been awesome. Lincoln Project's doing great work. Say hi to the rest of your team for me. Tell them I'm a big fan. And I look forward to battling them on the field of ideas. When we have a two-party system again, because I'm sick of this, you know, politics of personal destruction that we've been living in for the last, you know, four years. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me. All right. That's Reed Gallen. Check him out at Reed Gallen on Twitter. I'll tweet him out. Uh, And check out the Lincoln Project. They are doing some awesome work. I think the best work of any group during this cycle. I'll be right back. I mean it. If you're not following the Lincoln Project and Reed Gallen, do it right now. They're linked on my Twitter page, at Christopher Hahn. ChristopherHahn.com, by the way. And please tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, we're growing all the time, but we need some more. We need more. <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, it's 4th of July weekend, and usually that's usually one of my favorite weekends of the year. Uh, I actually got married 4th of July weekend. It's also my anniversary weekend. It's uh, the beach and fireworks and parties and, you know, going out to dinner and good stuff. And I don't know. I just, uh, I am going to one party this weekend. It's outside. Um, wearing a mask, of course. I um, I don't know. It's, it's just a tough year. I know that we're all uh, concerned about what's going on. I mean, here in New York, we seem to have it under control, but... I have no delusions that it's going to stay that way here. I I think that as things open up here and as it spreads around the country, look, we can put all the quarantines we want on people coming in here. People are still coming in here. Um, We live in a country where we don't have gates at the border of states. So people are going to come into New York with it, just as people left New York with it, just as people left China and Europe with it, and it's going to come back here. And we have no leadership at the top right now trying to fix this problem. Even now, you know, as Republican governors around the country and even Mitch McConnell today tweeted out how, 
you should wear a mask. Um, look, I just there's too many people in this country that get all of their information from Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has not taken this seriously. And that is why we are in the mess we're in. It's why it even got here. I have said before, there is no excuse, there's no substitute, I should say, for American leadership around the world. And when this president chose to abdicate that leadership, nobody on this planet picked it up. And when this virus started spreading in Wuhan, there weren't American teams of scientists on the ground there as there had been in the past. And it got out of Wuhan. And it got out of hand. And here we are. I blame them for everything that's gone on here. Every single thing. It should never have gotten here. It should never have left China. I blame them for everything going on in the world. Because American leadership is usually what made the difference in pandemics in the past. SARS, Ebola. You think about it. We are the leaders of this planet, and now nobody's leading this planet. We could talk all we want about the EU. We could talk about China trying to step up in Asia you know, in their, in their own dictatorial way. But there's no substitute for American leadership. And this president has failed to lead. It's one of the things, you know, Reed Gallant talked about, one of the pillars of uh, the Reagan Republicans, leadership abroad. But that leadership abroad goes, goes back long before Ronald Reagan. I mean, it goes way back. Go to Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt and Eisenhower and Kennedy and Johnson. And here we are. No leadership, no American leadership in the world, no solution to the problem. And it's getting worse in this country. And in fact, look, it's worse in this country than any other modern country. I mean, you know, Brazil, I guess you could consider a modern country. They got a, a Trump clone in Brazil who's completely screwed it up. So their cases are out of control. But now it's gone to red states. So maybe they'll take it a little bit more seriously. It's in the swing state of Florida. It's in Texas, which is starting to look like a swing state. And by the way, get out of control in Texas and see if Texas isn't a swing state, Mr. President. See how long Abbott can resist having people allowed to vote absentee if it's spreading like wildfire in Texas. I mean, the man is just incompetent, foolish, horrible. The situation that we're hearing about uh, with with the Russians and the bounties and the way he's handled it and the way he pretends he doesn't know. He's just like, I don't know. That's it. You know, if you want to sum up Donald Trump's position on almost everything, it's I don't know. I didn't do it. Wasn't my fault. Wah, wah, wah. He doesn't understand that the buck stops with him. And it dry, it, I know I say that all the time. It just drives me insane. I'm trying not to repeat myself. I know I have a lot of loyal listeners. I have a lot of subscribers who listen to it every week. And um, I'm trying not to repeat myself, so I'm sorry. And I'm also sorry about some of those edits. We're trying not to have breaks with me, you know, commentating about the break in the interview. So we're editing it. And sometimes when I'm when I'm doing the interview, I'm getting excited and I forget I got to do a nice clean break so that I can put it in my podcast. I do those interviews on my radio show, which is syndicated uh, across the country now. So, um, you know, sorry about those edits, but I want to make sure you get those interviews because they are good interviews and I get some good guests. Um, I don't know who I have coming up next week. I know in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have the governor of Michigan. I'm uh, looking forward to that. So I really do appreciate all the support. I hope you are all having, uh, I hope everybody out there is staying safe, recognizing that this disease is still out there. 
Um, I hope you have a safe and healthy 4th of July. I hope you get to spend some time with family and friends safely and just celebrate the ideals that are America. And when you're out there talking to your conservative friends at the barbecue you're going to go to, try not to talk about Trump. Try to talk about American exceptionalism and American leadership and the ideals that make this country great. The ideals and the exceptionalism that Donald Trump does not exhibit as president. The leadership that he has failed to execute as president. This is what people have to understand. They got to get it through their head. The sloganeering, the talking points put out by the Trump campaign every day that people like to spit back at me every time I talk to them. It's nonsense. We live in a country that is falling apart. A country that was doing great before this man took over. And it is falling apart. And people are at each other's throats because he can't heal. He has never reached out across the aisle. He has never done anything to win over anyone who didn't vote for him. He is a complete and total train wreck of a president. And we got to pick off that 40% of Americans that think he deserves four more years. He doesn't. Well, while you're out there, remember, as always, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know we will find it if we look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.